Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and this week we bring you another classic show from Radio's Golden Age. We have a Studio One adaptation of a 1934 movie, The Barretts of Wimpole Street, dramatizing the romance of poets Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning. The story is very well done, and I think you will enjoy listening. This is Studio One, the Barretts of Wimpole Street, first broadcast September 9th, 1947, on CBS. This is Studio One at CBS. Oh, Robert, please put aside your dream of me and look upon me as I am. I love you too well to let you waste your life pursuing the pale ghost of a woman. My need of you is as urgent as your need of me, Elizabeth. I adore you. We will have to keep this secret from everyone lest a whisper of it get to Father's ears. Of course. If he had the least suspicion of our affection, you would never be allowed to enter our house again. And I could not bear that, Robert. I need you. I shall always need you. And I need you, my dearest. With a dramatic moment from the Barretts of Wimpole Street by Rudolph Bessier, CBS invites you to Studio One, a full-hour Columbia feature from the pages of the world's great storytellers. Stories known and loved by millions. And now to introduce tonight's great story, here is the director of Studio One, Fletcher Markle. Mr. Rudolph Bessier has called his play about the Barretts of Wimpole Street a comedy, but it is also a romance, a melodrama, and a family chronicle. There's a certain unquenchable charm about Mr. Bessier's portrait of the Barretts, three daughters and six sons living on Wimple Street with the domestic despot who is their father. And the romance between Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning deserves and owns a unique place in great storytelling. Among the principals of tonight's cast, you'll be hearing Anne Burr as Elizabeth, Horace Braham as Edward, her father, Kathleen Cordell as Henrietta, and I'm going to join them at the microphone to play Robert Browning. Thank you, Wilson. Wonderful day. It is that, sir. And how's our patient? Lackadaisical, sir. Most lackadaisical. Ah, yes. I think it's this warm spring weather. Dear me. You haven't opened her window. Oh, no, sir. Not so much as a crack. I'll come upstairs with you. Thank you, Wilson. The house seems rather quiet. Dinner over? Where is everyone? Well, sir, Mr. Barrett's in his study. He's having one of his moods. And the others? The six young gentlemen, they're still in the dining room. With their father closed up in his study, they're all having another glass of wine. The two young ladies are upstairs in Miss Annabelle's room. Miss Henrietta had some secrets to discuss. (laughs) It is indeed spring when young girls whisper secrets behind closed doors. (laughs) And where is the dog? Oh, Flush is asleep curled up in his basket beside Miss Barr. It would seem no one has told Flush that it is spring outside. I must whisper it in his ear, Wilson. Oh, I wouldn't do that, sir. I really wouldn't. That dog's trouble enough as it is. Here we are, sir. Come in. Miss Barr, it's Dr. Chambers. Doctor, you're quite late today. Well, Miss Elizabeth... Half of London is down with the cold, and the other half has spring fever. Then you waste your time with me, for I have neither. Anything you want, Doctor? Nothing, Wilson, thank you. I'll be in the kitchen if you need me. Now then, let's see how your pulse is today, Miss Barr. Oh, <laughs> forgive me, my dear Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> your nickname slipped out unawares. I'm always hearing it from your family. It has become a part of me. No one ever addresses me as Elizabeth, except in correspondence. Well, the pulse is about the same, my dear. 
This low vitality of yours worries me. No life in you, none at all. What are we going to do about it? You've shut a person up in one room for years on end, Dr. Chambers. You can't expect to find her bursting with life. Why not prescribe something really exciting for me? Exciting, eh? What would you suggest? Oh, perhaps a gallop three times round the park. Or a long sea voyage. Oh, I wish I could prescribe a voyage for you. Away from England. Italy is the place. Italy. Oh, Doctor, what a heavenly dream. And it must remain a dream, at least for the present. If only I could prescribe some sort of change, something to get you out of this house. Uh, tell me now, Miss Elizabeth, have you ventured on your feet lately? Not since I had that fall last Christmas. Papa, or one of my brothers, carries me from my bed every morning here to the sofa and back to bed again at night. And when I'm feeling particularly venturesome, my maid supports me across the room to look out at the window. Feeling venturesome at the moment? <laughs> Not particularly. Uh, we must do something to make you walk. Perhaps next week. Which is precisely what you said last week. How's the appetite? Just peck at your food, I suppose. I try to eat, but I'm never really hungry. By the way, do you remember Papa suggesting to you that a kind of beer called porter might improve my appetite? And an excellent suggestion it was. Forgive me, but it was nothing of the kind. My life, in consequence, has become one long misery. Bless my soul. I am not exaggerating. One long misery. <laughs> there, I wakened flush. My dear Elizabeth, porter is generally considered a most palatable beverage. Nothing I enjoy more than a pint of porter with my chops at breakfast. Oh, with your breakfast. All I can say is that to me, porter is entirely horrible. Horrible to look at, more horrible to smell, and most horrible to drink. It's no use my appealing to Papa, especially as the dreadful idea originated with him. But if you, dear Dr. Chambers, were to suggest to him that something else... Anything, I don't mind what, might be equally appetizing. You poor dear lady. Of course I will. Come in. Begging your pardon, Miss Barr. Yes, Wilson. Uh, the master wishes most particularly see the doctor before he leaves. Oh, dear. I'll come at once, Wilson. High time I were off. He's in his study, sir. A good day, Miss Elizabeth. You won't forget about the porter. Huh? Oh, no, no, no. I'll speak to him about it at once. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You needn't see me downstairs, Wilson. Very good, sir. Quick, Wilson, away with it. <coughs> away with what, miss? I hadn't the courage to drink it at dinner. I was putting off the dreadful moment as long as I could. Your porter, miss? And now Dr. Chambers tells me I needn't drink it any longer. Take it away and never mention the word porter to me again. <laughs> Of course, Arabelle. Oh, dinner was awful. Henrietta? Awful. It's awful. <coughs> Papa's in one of his moods. His nagging mood is bad enough, and his shouting mood is worse. But this is his silent mood, and that's the worst of all. Oh, well, I know. I don't believe there were a dozen remarks all through dinner, and Papa froze most of them off at the tips. Directly dinner was over, Papa ordered his port taken to the study. Thank heaven he followed it almost at once. And locked the door. What caused this black mood? Cousin Bella is calling tomorrow. Oh, no. With her fiancé, Mr. Bevan. Papa sent us a note from his study to tell us. When he starts sending notes, look out for squalls. Cousin Bella and her young man will be here at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. We, of course, have to receive them. And you, Elizabeth. Oh, no, not I. Papa said in his note that if you were well enough, they were to be brought upstairs to see you. But Mr. Browning is calling on me at half past 3 tomorrow afternoon. Mr. Browning? Here? Oh, bah, how exciting. Has Papa given his permission? I would never receive a caller without Papa's consent. I've heard Mr. Browning's wonderfully handsome. Oh, Henrietta, you're incorrigible. <laughs> of course, I know you've been corresponding with Mr. Browning. Yes, for many months. But, dearest Pa, you write so many literary people whom you absolutely refuse to see. And for a very good reason. At heart, I'm as vain as a peacock. Unfortunately, when people admire my work, they're quite likely to picture the poetess as stately and as beautiful as her verses. It would be dreadfully humiliating to meet them in disillusion. Oh, don't be silly, Bar. You're very interesting. Quite picturesque. Picturesque? <laughs> Isn't that how guidebooks usually describe a ruin? 
Oh, Bob, I didn't mean... Of course you didn't, Arabelle. Why are you seeing Mr. Browning? Mr. Browning has been so insistent that out of sheer weariness I've given away. But I don't want an audience here to witness his disillusionment. So mind you, Cousin Bella and her must, Mr. Bevan must have left my room before Mr. Browning arrived. Oh, yes, they must leave, for I, too, am expecting a caller tomorrow afternoon. Captain Surtees Cook. Oh. What is your captain like, Henrietta? Is he nice? Oh, yes, Ba. Quite nice. He just sits without saying anything, staring at Henrietta. Annabelle, really? Well, he does. Well, how in heaven's name can I entertain him tomorrow afternoon with Cousin Bella here? Well, now, here's what we shall do. You have a plan, Ba. I knew you would. When Cousin Bella and her fiancé arrive, Arabelle will bring them straight up to see me. I will, at once. And that, Henrietta, will give you a chance to entertain your captain in the drawing room. Oh, Elizabeth, you're so clever. What a thing it is to be a genius. Only everyone must leave my room before half past three so that I can receive Mr. Browning quite alone. Oh, I will see to it, Ma. Everyone will be out of the way, I promise. Come in, dear Octavius. We, we just come to see how you are. Dear brother. And to wish you a good night. Septimus, come in. And how's our dear bar tonight? I hope the doctor was pleased. I think so, Alfred. At least I hope so. He seemed pleased. Ah, uh, Charles, dear Henry, George. All of my dear brothers. You're not looking so well, Bar. Is she, Henry? On the contrary, I think she's looking considerably better. So does Charles, don't you, Charles? Nay, looking better, don't you think? More herself. Quite. But I say, Bar, Cousin Bella and her swain are uh, calling on you tomorrow afternoon. What's Cousin Bella's fiancé like? Oh, he's a pompous ass, but warm, a very warm man. Ten thousand pounds a year if he has a penny. Ten thousand? And ten thousand more when his grandmother dies. Ten thousand more? Oh, it's grossly unfair. What has Cousin Bella done to deserve such luck? But George says he's a pompous ass. No man with 10,000 a year can be a pompous ass. I wonder if it's just possible that you might all be interested to hear about Papa. What about Papa? He's going to Plymouth on business. When? Next week. How long will he be gone? Oh, at least a fortnight. How wonderful. How glorious. Now she's glad. Oh, I'm so happy. Listen, there's our lovely little accordion man down the street. George... Do you dance the polka? Oh, don't be childish. Well, I do. Watch me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't approve of dancing. Papa doesn't approve of Venice. Dance with me, Septimus. Dance with me. Henrietta, you really should. Dance Oh, good evening, Papa. I am most displeased. But, Papa, I only... Be quiet, Henrietta. Yes, Papa. I pointed out not once, but countless times, that in your dear sister's precarious state of health, it's most inadvisable for more than three of you to be in her room at the same time, and yet, here are all eight of you. Yes, sir. My wishes, as usual, have been completely disregarded. I find you romping here like disorderly children. Quiet, Flash. Quiet. I am gravely displeased. <laughs> I'm not aware that I've said anything amusing, Henrietta. I, I beg your pardon, Papa. May I ask what you were doing as I came into the room? I was dancing the polka. I see. Uh, well, Bar, I think I'd say good night. I and should be grateful, I... Octavius, if you would allow me to finish speaking. Sorry. I thought you'd done. Are you being insolent, sir? No, indeed. I assure you, sir. As I'm really the cause of your displeasure, Papa, I ought to tell you that I like nothing better than a, a little noise occasionally. It's delightful having all the family here. It can't possibly do me any harm. Uh, perhaps you will forgive my saying that you are not the best judge of what is good or bad for you, Elizabeth. Now, you will all say good night to your sister and leave this room, all of you, immediately. Now then, Elizabeth. Yes, Papa. Dr. Chambers tells me that you persuaded him to allow you to discontinue drinking porter with your meals. Oh, it needed very little persuasion, Papa. I said I detested porter, and he agreed at once that I should take milk instead. I questioned him closely as to the comparative strength-giving values of porter and milk. He was forced to admit that, in his view, 
Porter came decidedly first. But when you dislike a thing to loathing, I don't see how it can do you any good. Your likes and dislikes are quite beside the point in a case like this. But, Papa... Believe me, Elizabeth, I've nothing but your welfare at heart when I warn you that if you decide to discontinue drinking Porter, you will incur my grave displeasure. But... But when Dr. Chambers himself... I have told you what Dr. Chambers said. Did you drink your porter at dinner? No, Papa. Uh, Then I hope you will drink it before you retire. That's really asking too much. I can't drink that horrible stuff in cold blood. Of course, I have no means of coercing you. You are no longer a child, but I intend to give your better nature every chance of asserting itself. A tankard of porter will be left here in your room. I'm sorry, Papa, but I shan't drink it. I hope that tomorrow you will tell me that you've obeyed your father. Elizabeth, you're trembling. Why? I... I don't know. You're not frightened of me, are you? I couldn't bear to think that. You're everything in the world. Without you, I should be quite alone. You know that. Yes, Papa. Knowing, knowing my affection for you, my dear, you can't be afraid of me. I, I told you just now that if you disobeyed me, you would incur my displeasure. I take that back. I shall never in any way reproach you. You shall not know by deed or word or hint of mine how much you have grieved and wounded your father by refusing to do this small thing here. Please. Please don't say any more. I'll drink the porter. Uh, you are acting of your own free will. Papa, let us get this over and forget it. I can't forgive myself for making the whole house miserable over a tankard of porter. Come in. Here is the porter, sir. Thank you, Wilson. Set it here at Miss Elizabeth's side. Yes, sir. Here you are, Miss Barr. Uh, I will leave you now. Good night, Papa. I will visit you before breakfast for morning prayers. Good night, my child. Oh, Wilson, I'm so tired, tired, tired of it all. Will it never end? End this long, long, gray death in life. Miss Barr, you shouldn't say such things. No, I suppose I should. Is it a fine evening, Wilson? Oh, yes, Miss. The air is warm and soft. Later, there'll be a moon, a new moon. Shall I get you ready for bed now, Miss Barr? Not just yet, Wilson. Leave me for a little. Very well, Miss. I'll come back later. In half an hour. Yes, Miss. Half an hour. pastime, if June be refulgent with flowers in completeness, all petals, no prickles, delicious as prickles. Oh, oh, oh. I call that just lovely, Miss Barr. But do you know what it means, Wilson? Oh, no, Miss. Does it convey anything at all to your mind? Oh, no, Miss. Ah, thank heaven for that. But then poetry never does, Miss. Leastways, not real poetry, like what you made. Oh, but I didn't write that. It's by Mr. Browning. He must be a clever gentleman. Oh, he is. That will be Miss Bella with her young man. Come in. Elizabeth, I've brought Cousin Bella and Mr. Bevan to see you. Bella, dear. Cousin Barr, after all these years. But, oh, my poor, poor Barr, how sadly you've changed. So pale, so fragile, so effective. And you, Bella, are even lovelier than you promised to be as a child. Oh, flatterer. Oh, this is my dear, dear Harry, Mr. Bevin, Miss Elizabeth Barrett. Delighted, Miss Barrett. Charmed. May I congratulate you, both of you. Thank you, Miss Barrett. And when is the wedding to be? Are we in August? I hope you will be very happy. I am indeed a fortunate man. Dear Harry, dear Pa. Miss Pa. I will take Flush out for his airing. Oh, thank you, Wilson. Come, Flush. Come along. Now, won't you sit down? Thank you, Miss Barrett. 
Bella has read your poems. Oh, I adore them. Especially when dear Harry reads them to me. Why, he read me Lady Geraldine's courtship the day after we became engaged. He reads so beautifully. And he too adores your poems, which ought to please you as he's dreadfully critical. Oh, come, come, my pet. Oh, but Harry, you are. He doesn't quite approve of even Mr. Alfred Tennyson's poems. Really, Mr. Bavin? I do not care for his modern tendencies. Now, your poems, my dear Miss Barrett, there's not a line in one of them that I would disapprove of even dear Bella reading. That... That's very satisfactory. Dear Harry is so frightfully earnest. Oh, come, come, my pet. Where's dear Henrietta? Oh, well, at the moment she's downstairs, entertaining a friend. Not that tall gentleman we passed in the hall. Yes, Captain Surtees' cook. An army man, how thrilling. I thought his carriage was military. So he's a friend of dear Henrietta. You meet Captain Cook at tea. Isn't it about time for tea? Oh, yes, I... I quite forgot. We should have gone downstairs long ago. Come, Cousin Bella, Mr. Bevan. Arrivederci, dearest Bob. Goodbye. It's been so lovely seeing you. May I come soon again? Next time I shall want you all to myself, without Harry, I mean. Come whenever you're in London. But why must I be excluded? Because I've heaps and heaps to tell dear Bob about a certain big, big man who might easily grow conceited if he heard me. Oh, come, come, my pet. Come along, or Captain Cook will have devoured everything. Oh, Au revoir, darling. Goodbye, dear Miss Barrett. Goodbye. But you must see him, Bar. You must. Oh, Arabelle, where is he? In the library, meeting all the others. I thought Cousin Bella would faint when she found out it was the great Robert Browning. I, I can't see him, Arabelle. I can't. Nonsense. I told Wilson to show him up as soon as I had a chance to warn you. But I'm not up to it. He will understand. You can't send him away, Bob. It'd be too rude after having asked him to call. Is, uh, is my hair tidy? Oh, you look marvelous. Wait until you see him. He's wonderfully romantic looking. Oh, here he is. I'll open the door and slip out as he comes in. No, Arabelle. Don't leave me alone, will I you? certainly will. Oh, come in, Mr. Browning. Thank you, Miss Arabelle. I was just on my way downstairs. Miss Barrett. How do you do, Mr. Browning? Dear Miss Barrett, at last. At last. I've had to put off the pleasure of meeting you much longer than I wished. Would you ever have received me if I'd not been so tiresomely insistent in my letters? As you know, I've not been at all well during the winter, and I... Won't you take off your cape? Thank you. You may think, Miss Barrett, that this is the first time I've been here. You're quite wrong, you know. But I... I've seen this room more times than I can remember. It's as familiar to me as my own little study at home. I don't understand. Your letters, my dear Miss Barrett, they were like windows through which I looked into your sanctuary. Did my letters also tell you everything about me? Your poems had already done that. Oh. Do my poor verses give me so hopelessly away? Hopelessly, utterly, entirely. Now you frighten me. I'm afraid it will be quite useless for me ever to play act with you. Quite useless. I shall always have to be just myself. Always. And you, Mr. Browning. Always just myself. But really, Miss Barrett, I shan't be able to take much credit for that. Being myself comes to me as easily as breathing. Except your writing. I beg your pardon? You have never been yourself in any of your poems. It's always somebody else speaking through you. And shall I tell you why? I am a very modest man. Oh? I am, really. I didn't question it, Mr. Browning. So modest, I fully realized that if I wrote about myself, my hopes and fears, hates and loves and the rest of it, my poems would be intolerably dull. <laughs> but since we are pledged to nothing but the truth, I shall not contradict you. Until I know you better. Ah, <laughs> bravo. Your poems with their great-hearted acceptance of life. You can't imagine what they mean to me. Miss Barrett, what you've just said makes up to me a thousand times over for all the cold shouldering I've had from the public. Sometimes I detest the public. Oh, no, no, dear old public. At least it gives us the jolly pastime of abusing it. Mind you, Miss Barrett, I have an uneasy feeling that my style is largely to blame for my unpopularity. Oh, surely not. Now then, didn't we agree never to play act with each other? Well, <laughs> perhaps there are passages in your work that are somewhat obscure for the general reader. Uh -huh. 
I've marked one or two in a poem I was rereading this afternoon. If you'll let me read it to you. By all means. Ah, yes, here we are. And after for pastime, if June be refulgent... Extraordinary. ...with flowers in completeness, all petals, no prickles... Of course, a passage torn from its context. Delicious as trickles... Miss Barrett, when that passage was written, only God and Robert Browning understood it. Now only God understands it. <laughs> Miss Barrett, you smiled when I told you that I knew you from your poems. But they and your letters had painted your portrait with the true soul of you, ardent and lovely... Ardent and lovely. And you think you know me. Oh, Mr. Browning, too often I'm impatient and rebellious. My portrait is that of a woman, not a saint. Who has more right to be impatient and rebellious than yourself? I fear that mine is a somber portrait. It is a portrait that is not yet finished. And if only you allow it, I hope to have a hand in its completion. But, Mr. Browning... Now listen to me. I'll dip my brush into the sunrise and the sunset and the rainbow... You say my verses have helped you. They're nothing. It's I. I who am going to help you now. We have come together at last, and I don't intend to let you go again. But I... Listen now. Give me your hands. So. I have more life than is good for one man. It seethes and races within me. Mayn't I give it to you? Don't you feel new life tingling and prickling up your fingers and arms right into your heart? Please... Please let go of my hands. Very well. You are an overwhelming person. You are afraid of life, and that shouldn't be. Oh, when life becomes a series of electric shocks. Miss Barrett, you remember the first letter I wrote you? It was a wonderful letter. You may have thought I dashed it off in a fit of white-hot enthusiasm over your poems. I didn't. I weighed every word of every sentence. And of one sentence in particular, this one. I love your books with all my heart. And I love you, too. You remember? I thought it charmingly impulsive of you. There was nothing impulsive about it. That sentence was as deeply felt as any sentence I'd ever written. It's wonderful to think that I may have good friends all the world over whom I have never seen or heard of. I am not speaking of friendship, but of love. You must realize that love, in the sense you apparently use the word, has no place and can have no place in my life. Why not? I am an invalid, dying... I will refuse to believe it. You must never say such a thing again. I forbid you to. Forbid, Mr. Browning? Yes, forbid. Dear Miss Barrett, what a splendid beginning to our friendship. We've talked intimately of life and death and love. We've ordered each other about and we've almost quarreled. Could anything be more promising? <laughs> now, with your permission, I shall leave you. When may I call again? I don't quite know. Would I... next Wednesday be convenient? Yes, I... I think so, but perhaps it would be better Next if Wednesday, I... then, at half past three again. Yes, but... I... Au revoir, Miss Barrett. Au revoir. The face of all the world is changed, I think. Since first I heard the footsteps of thy soul move still, oh, still beside me as they stole betwixt me and the dreadful outer brink of obvious death, where I, who thought to sink, was caught up into love and taught the whole of life in a new rhythm. Pa! Pa, are you here? Uh, what, uh... Who, who, who is it? I knocked several times. Oh, Henrietta. Oh, Pa, I'm so miserable. Miserable? And so, so wildly happy. May I tell you about it? Of course. I oughtn't to, I know. Because if this should ever come to anything, and Papa asked you if you had any idea of what was going on, you'll have to lie, which you hate doing, or admit that you knew. But then he'd vent half his rage on you for not warning him in time. Warning him about what? Captain Cook has asked me to marry him. Oh, Henrietta. Of course I accepted him, but said that I couldn't. I had to tell him that we must never see each other again. When he calls tomorrow, I shall have to... Henrietta, you're not talking sense. Oh, I know. What are we to do? Oh, Pa, we both love each other so terribly. Thirties has only just enough money to support himself. And of course, I haven't a penny of my own. Oh, funny, I had your 400 a year. I might defy Papa and marry Thirties tomorrow. What earthly good is that money to me? I will give it to you and gladly. Oh, oh but that's utterly impossible. 
Think what your life would be like if Papa knew that you'd made it possible for me to marry. But isn't it a cruel irony that the only one of the family with the means to be free and happy hasn't any use for it? Is there anything at all to be said for Papa's attitude toward marriage? Can it possibly be wrong to want a man's love desperately and and to long for a family and babies of my own? It is completely right to want such things. Oh, you do understand, don't you, Pa? Too well, my dear. Now I shall tell you a secret. Something has happened to me. To you? Mr. Browning, this afternoon. Mr. Browning? I suspect that I, too, am in love. You? You? Yes. I, too, am in love. Desperately in love. From Studio One at CBS, you are listening to Rudolph Bessier's The Barretts of Wimpole Street, as arranged for radio by Vincent McConnor. Our story will resume after the customary pause for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Continuing Columbia's full-hour feature production from Studio One. The story of Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning. And of the strange, jealous man, Edward Moulton Barrett, who kept his favorite daughter a helpless invalid. The Barretts of Wimpole Street by Rudolph Bessier. Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as men turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Elizabeth, once again, walk around the room. Yes, Dr. Chambers. I congratulate you, I do indeed. Three months ago, you seemed inclined to let life slip through your pretty fingers. <laughs> then slowly the change began. Uh, believe me, my dear, the wish to live is better than a dozen physicians. Uh, now you may sit down. Oh, thank you. You were able to get out and take the air every day? Oh, yes. I've enjoyed several drives around the park. Oh, quiet. Quiet, Flush. Sit here, beside me. <laughs> Miss Barrett, another winter in London must, if possible, be avoided. If you continue picking up strength as you're doing, I see no reason against your traveling south by October, say. Traveling south? To the Riviera. Or better still, to Italy. Italy? Oh, do you really mean it? Why not? You could travel by easy stages... I've been given to understand that there are no uh, <clears throat> practical difficulties in your way. If by practical you mean financial, none at all. I have my own little income. Oh, quite so, quite so. I, uh, I realize there is only one possible hindrance in the way of your wintering abroad, and I am quite prepared to deal with him. Oh, I'm sure that won't be necessary. Papa may not raise any kind of objection. 
It depends upon his mood at the moment. Fiddlesticks! Mr. Barrett's moods are neither here nor there. All that matters is his daughter's health, and I intend to make that quite clear to him, and this very afternoon. Italy, Italy, Italy. You will come with me, Flush. We'll see Rome together, Florence, Venice. Oh, Flush, we'll escape from all this cold. We will languish in the sun. Come in. Bob, dearest, here's Cousin Bella. Oh, but you really shouldn't get up to receive little me. But I'm as well able to stand as anyone nowadays. One has only to see your dear face, so transparent and spiritual, to know how near you are to heaven. You always have a look in your eyes, as though you already saw the angel. She's looking at me, Bella, and I'm no angel. No, I'm afraid you're not. Though you will look like one, as my bridesmaid. I've just spoken to Uncle Edward, and he's given his consent. You certainly have a way with you, Bella. She sat on Papa's knee and stroked his whiskers. And why not? Isn't he my uncle? Besides, I adore the stern and gloomy type of gentleman. But I do find dear Uncle Edward's attitude about marriage extraordinary, when right under his nose his whole house is literally seething with romance. What on earth do you mean? I mean Henrietta, of course. Really, Bella? What an extraordinary girl you are, Bella. Oh, I'm a frightfully observant little thing. For instance, though you hardly ever mention his name, I know that Mr. Robert Browning comes here to see you, Elizabeth, at least once every week. Flash ought to know a wonderful lot about poetry by this time, for when two poets are gathered together, they talk about rhymes and rhythms. Or don't they? I'm really frightfully ignorant. On the contrary, you're frightfully knowing. Little me. I hope to goodness you won't chatter any of this nonsense in front of Papa. Oh, it isn't nonsense. But of course I won't breathe a word of it to Uncle Edward. I'm all on the side of romance. Bella, I think you are one person who might have benefited under Papa's system of upbringing. Oh, what a thrilling thought. He was always frightfully strict, wasn't he? Did he whip you when you were naughty? Come in, Papa. Oh, Uncle Edward. <coughs> Uncle Edward, if I had been your little girl, would you have been terribly severe with me? You wouldn't, would you? Young lady, are you trying to pose me with some silly riddle? Henrietta says it would have done me all the good in the world to have been brought up by you. She thinks I'm a spoiled, frivolous little bad Bella, she... I never said anything of the sort. If my children were as bright and open and affectionate as you, Bella, I should be a much happier man. Oh, you say such things or they'll hate there, me. There, there, child. Run away now, both of you. I want to speak to Elizabeth. Alone. Elizabeth, your physician has just left me. Yes, Papa. His report was excellent. I'm more than gratified. I'm delighted. Perhaps this wonderful weather has had something to do with my recovery. I always thrive in warmth and sunshine. Rubbish. Last summer was sweltering and you've never been in worse health. No, to my mind, there's only one whom we have to thank. Him. Him? I mean Almighty God. Have I not knelt here night after night and implored our all-loving Father to have compassion on his child? Yes, Papa. Yes. That is all I have to say for the present. But didn't Dr. Chambers speak to you about... about next winter? Uh, Dr. Chambers, if I may say so, talked a great deal of nonsense. Didn't he tell you that I should avoid spending next winter in England? That he thinks I shall be well enough to travel to Italy in October? Oh, when Dr. Chambers first spoke to me of Italy, I put the idea from me. It seemed too impossibly wonderful. But as I grew stronger, it came over me like a revelation that Italy wasn't an impossibility after all. That nothing really stood in the way of my going. That I had every right to go. Did you say right? Yes, every right. If only I could get your consent. Elizabeth, didn't it occur to you that all through these long, dark months that you proposed to enjoy yourself in Italy, that your father would be left here utterly alone? Alone? Utterly alone. Your brothers and sisters might as well be... 
shadows for all the companionship they afford me. And you, oh, my child, don't think that I haven't noticed that you, too, now that you're stronger, are slowly drawing away from your father. That's not true. It is true. And in your heart, you know it's true. No. New life, new interests, new pleasures, new friends, and little by little, I am being pushed into the background. I, who used to be your whole world, I, who loved you. But, Papa... There's nothing more to be said. You want my consent for this Italian job? I do, Papa, I do. I shall neither give it nor withhold it. You're your own mistress. Even if I refuse to pay your expenses, you have ample means of your own to carry out your intentions. You are at liberty to do as you wish. But, Papa... But, if you do go, I hope that you will sometime spare a thought for your father. Think of him... At night, stealing into this room which once held all he loved, think of him kneeling alone by your empty sofa. Who's that? Come in. If you please, Mr. Browning is waiting in the carriage. That poet fellow again. Shall I get your cloak, Miss Barr? Yes, please, Wilson. Come, Flush, we're going out for a drive. Elizabeth, you're... you're... You're overdoing this exertion. Oh, no, Papa. I'm bursting with life. Would you like to meet Mr. Browning? Certainly not. I should have thought you knew by this time that I never inflict myself on any of my children's friends. Good afternoon, Elizabeth. Good afternoon, Papa. And I trust you will give much consideration to what I've said before you decide to visit Italy. glorious day. It's very exciting to ride in a carriage again. Here, allow me to hold Flush for you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you and Flush are friends. Elizabeth, tell me quickly, what did the doctor say? He says that I shall be well enough to travel by the middle of October, unless there's a relapse. Relapse? There isn't such a word. October, extraordinary. That suits my own plans to perfection. Your plans? I intend to winter in Italy myself. You? May I call on you there? Where do you intend to stay? I'm afraid you'll need seven-league boots when you call on me. What do you mean? I shall be at 50 Wimple Street all next winter. But didn't you just tell me that the doctor... The doctor proposes, but the decision rests elsewhere. Your father is against the plan. Papa is very devoted to I me. do not call this devotion. He depends upon my companionship. If I were away for six months, he would be desolate. I cannot understand a devotion that demands favors as if they were rights. Demands duty and respect and obedience and love. Demands all and takes all and gives nothing in return. I do not understand a devotion that spends itself in petty tyrannies and gross bullying. Mr. Brown. Nor do I understand a devotion that grudges you any ray of light, any glimpse of happiness. That doesn't even stop at risking your very life to gratify its colossal selfishness. Devotion. Give me good, sound, honest hatred rather than devotion such as this. Here we are, sir. Now... Elizabeth, we shall have some tea, and we shall continue this conversation. <laughs> what a charming place. Look at Flush chasing those birds. I've often dreamed of the day I would bring you here, Elizabeth. It's so peaceful, this terrace overlooking the Thames. <laughs> I'm certain that you arranged for us to have it to ourselves. No, this is a happy accident. Well, now, here's Mrs. Quimper again. Here we are. Hot scones for the lady. Oh, how delicious they look. Try them with a the strawberry jam and butter. Let it melt on them while they're hot. Another cup of tea, miss? Nothing more just now, thank you. I'll be inside my shop if you need something more. Now, Miss Elizabeth, I must go back to our discussion in the carriage. Please, no. Even before I met you, I knew that sickness was not the only shadow on your life. All these months, I've felt that other shadow deepening. I've said nothing. Who was I to step in between you and your father? Well, now I've done with standing by. From today on, I refuse to allow him to threaten your happiness. This is your very life. Do not say any more. Miss Elizabeth, at our first meeting, you forbade me to speak of love. There was to be nothing but friendship between us, said I bade you. But we both knew that I was to be much more... Before our eyes first met, I loved you. Mr. Brown, I love you now more than words can tell. I shall be armed. You know that. You've always known. Yes, yes, I will know. 
Oh, Robert, have mercy on me. Elizabeth, my darling. What have I to do, love? I have so little of all that love us. I've told you I love you. I should have refused to see you at least. For I loved you then. For I wouldn't have done Elizabeth. My life had reached its lowest ebb. I was worn out. Robert, I came to want to live because life in it was the sight of your face, the sound of your voice, and oh, so much more than that. I, I love you, Elizabeth, and I want you to be my wife. Oh, Robert, please put aside your dream of me and look on me as I am. I love you too well to let you waste your life pursuing the pale ghost of a woman. My need of you is as urgent as your need of me. If your weakness asks my strength for support, my strength cries out for your weakness to complete my life and myself. Elizabeth, I adore you. You'll have to keep this secret from everyone, lest a whisper of it get to Father's ears. Of course. If he had the least suspicion of our affection, you would never be allowed to enter our house again. And I could not bear that, Robert. You are a fighter, born for victory and triumph. I need you, Robert. I shall always need you. And I need you, my dearest. I am a fighter, but I'm weary of fighting alone. I need a comrade at arms to fight beside me. Not one already wounded in the battle. Wounded, but undefeated, undaunted, unbroken. What finer comrade could a man ask for? But Robert... My darling... Come in, Arabelle. We just had a letter from Papa. He's detained in Plymouth. That's what we all hoped. But now he's returning home tomorrow. Why couldn't he have stayed away another week? Elizabeth, we are leaving. Leaving? All of us. And he us downstairs in tears. Listen to this letter of Papa's. I have taken a furnished house in Surrey. House in Surrey? Whether we shall eventually make it our permanent home, I've not yet decided. At any rate, we shall spend the winter there. Oh, no. I'm writing this letter so that you may inform your brothers and sisters of my decision. Tell them that I decline absolutely to discuss it when I return home. The matter is settled. Your loving papa. Poor Henrietta. She'll be away from her captain. And you will be away from Mr. Browning. Oh, my, it's just horrible. <laughs> yes, Arabelle, it is horrible. <laughs> Are you beginning to tire yet? No, Robert. I could walk to the end of the world. Perhaps you'd better rest here on this bench. Very well. It will be easier to sit while I tell you what has happened. There we are. I knew you didn't send me that hurried note just to ask me to take you walking in the park. What's happened? Robert, it will soon be impossible for me to see you. What's this? We had a note from Papa. He's taken a house in Surrey. We are to move there, possibly permanently. Well, this means but one thing. We shall not be able to see each other. It means that you'll be in Italy before the month is out. Italy? Yes, and with me. Robert! It means that we must be married at once. Do you know what you're saying? I repeat it, we must be married at once. We'll meet at Marleyburn Church and be married quietly Saturday morning. I'll see about the license and interview the vicar. Robert! We'll be married Saturday and leave for the continent the following week. And... And I always believed Papa was the most overbearing man in the world. And yet you've known me for some time now. Robert, have you thought... My strength might break down on such a journey. We'll take Wilson with us. She's entirely devoted to you. Suppose I were to die. Are you afraid? I would sooner die with you beside me than live a hundred lives without you. Only you must give me a little time. Time is short, my dear. I can't decide now. This is much too important. Give me a few hours. There can be but one decision. Oh, Robert. My beloved. Upstairs, Flush. Upstairs. Come into the parlor. We're waiting for you. I've just been for a walk in the park, and... Captain Thirty's cook. Bar my sister, Elizabeth. Ah. Your servant, Miss Barrett. So we finally meet. Twice honored in one day, you know. First by Her Majesty, now by you, Miss Barrett. Can't think what I've done to deserve it. Oh, you've just come from the palace. 
I've never seen the Queen. What is she like? A very little lady, ma'am, but royal every inch of her. Thirties wants to ask Papa for my hand. I simply cannot get it into his poor head that such things are not done in this house. Believe me, Captain Cook, it would be more than useless. You would be ordered out of the house, and I don't know what would happen to Henrietta. Quite aware that I'm not much of a match, Miss Barrett. Poor man, you know, little else than I pay. Still, quite respectable and all that. Captain Cook, if you were a prince of El Dorado and came courting my sister, even then Papa would show you the door. So you're not to speak to Papa. I don't think I have the privilege of this gentleman's acquaintance. Papa, you're home earlier than we expected, Papa. Captain Cook, may I introduce my father? Your, your servant, sir. Captain Cook is a great friend of George and Octavius. Indeed. I thought my sons were very rarely at home at this hour of the day. The fact is just passing. Thought I'd look in on the off chance, you know, sir, finding one of them in and all that. I say, goodbye, Joe. Must be getting late. It's nineteen and a half minutes past five. <clears throat> High time I was moving. Goodbye, Miss Elizabeth. Goodbye, Captain Cook. I'll see you out. Thank you, Miss Henrietta. Your servant, sir. Good day. I shall tell George that you were here. I know he'll regret not seeing you. This has convinced me that my decision was right. What do you mean, Papa? This house is past becoming a rendezvous for half of London. Fortunately, our new home is so far from town that your friends are not likely to trouble us. Then you are definitely moving to the country. On the 22nd. I, I shall get the cook to the door. What is this fellow to you, Henrietta? Well, I've told you, Papa. He's a friend of ours. Is that all? Well, yes, of course. You liar. Papa. I risk your turning it. I want the truth, Henrietta. What's this man to you? Answer me. He... Oh, Papa, I love him. Ah. Oh, my arm. Let her go, Papa. I won't have it. Let her go at once. And you, Elizabeth, you knew of this rotten business? I've known for some time, and I've given Henrietta all my sympathy. You dare to tell Papa, me? Papa, I know I've deceived you, and I'm sorry. But I couldn't help it. I love Captain Cook. Can't you understand? I can't live without love. Oh, please. Remember how you loved Mama. And how she loved you. And, and you'll understand. How long have you been carrying on with this fellow? I've, I've known him a little over a year. And you've been with him often? I met him in the park and... And here? Yes. Under my own roof, abetted by your sister, whom I believe to be wholly chaste and good. Oh, dare you, Silence, Papa. Elizabeth. Attend to my words, Henrietta. Unless I have your solemn word that you will neither see nor in any way communicate with this man again, you will leave my house at once as you are, with nothing but the clothes you wear. Once outside my doors, you will never again be admitted on any pretext whatever so long as I live. Now, you have your choice. Take it. Is it nothing to you that I shall hate you for this to the end of my life? Less than nothing. I'll have to let Captain Cook know. I will deal with Captain Cook. But, Papa... Here's your dear mother's Bible. Place your hand upon it, Henrietta. Repeat after me. I give you my solemn word. I give you my solemn word. That I will neither see nor have any communication with Captain Cook again. That I will neither see nor have any communication with Captain Cook again. You will now go to your room and remain there until you have my permission to leave it. <laughs> Have you anything to say to me, Elizabeth? No, Papa. Well, you too may go up to your room. I don't wish to see you again until God has softened your heart and you repent of your wickedness. Ask him for his forgiveness and mine. <laughs> trust you. Yes, indeed, miss. Next Saturday, I'm going to marry Mr. Browning. Marry? Nobody in this house knows and nobody must know. I should just think not indeed. We're to be married secretly. Will you come with me? Oh, yes, miss, and gladly. Directly afterwards, I shall return here for a few days. And on the following Saturday, Mr. Browning and I are going to Italy. Will you come with us? Do, 
to Italy. Oh, say you will. Oh, I will. I certainly will. Bless you. Bless you. Now I must... I must write a note to Mr. Browning. What is it, Henrietta? I told you never to come into my study when I'm reading my paper. Here's a letter for you. Letter? It's from Barr. She left it for you. Left it? What do you mean? She left letters for all of us. You must forgive her, Papa. Not for her sake, but for yours. I thought I hated you. But I don't. I pity you. And if you've any pity for yourself, forgive her. She's gone, and I, too, am going. I intend to marry Captain Surtees Cook. So, she's gone. Left me. Run off with this poet, Browning. I... Her dog. That's it. I still have her dog. Must be destroyed. One. But, Papa... I'll take it to the veterinary tonight. Have it put to death. You can't do that, Papa. I can, and I shall. But Bar wrote me a letter, too. She's taken Flush with her. What? Wilson and Flush. They've gone with her and Mr. Browning to Italy. <laughs> Flush seems to be enjoying all this. He's barking at everything that flashes past the windows. Elizabeth, are you very tired? Oh, no, dear. Just relaxed and happy. Completely happy. Have they said a word in the last hour? I've been wondering what is happening at Wimple Street. What Father did when he read my letter. Wondering if Henrietta and Captain Cook got away without his stopping them. You must forget Wimple Street, my darling. A new life is ahead for you. A life of sunshine and happiness. No clouds, no storms. You no, know, Robert, you too have been quiet for the last hour. I was running a sonnet over in my head. A sonnet by Mr. Browning. A sonnet by Mrs. Browning. Ah, and which one? The one you wrote just the other day. Beloved. Thou hast brought me many flowers plucked in the garden. Yes. All the summer through and winter. And it seemed as if they grew in this close room, nor missed the sun and shower. So, in the like name of that love of ours, take back these thoughts which here unfolded too, and which on warm and cold days I withdrew from my heart's ground. Indeed, those beds and bowers be overgrown with bitter weeds and rue. And wait thy wedding. Yet here's Eglantine, here's Ivy. Take them as I used to do thy flowers, and keep them where they shall not pine. Instruct thine eyes to keep their colors true, and tell thy soul their roots are left in mine. From Studio One at CBS, you have just heard Fletcher Markle's production of The Barretts of Wimpole Street by Rudolph Bessier. Another full-hour Columbia feature from the pages of the world's great storytellers. Tonight's script was prepared especially for this series by Vincent McConnor of the CBS Division of Program Writing. And the original musical score was composed and conducted by Alexander Semler. Now again, Mr. Markle. May a producer introduce the principals in our cast tonight. In the Barrett family... Elizabeth. ...was played by Anne Burr. Edward. ...was played by Horace Braham. Henrietta. ...was Kathleen Cordell. Arabelle. ...was Hester Sondergaard. The brothers were Ivor Francis, Morris Levine, and Dennis King, Jr. Bella Headley. ...was played by Miriam Wolfe. Wilson. ...was Dorothy Sands. Captain Cook. ...was Gregory Morton. Robert Bryden was Dr. Chambers. Hedley Rennie was Henry Bevan. And Eileen Benson was Mrs. Quimper. 
Mr. Bradley Barker impersonated Flush, and your producer was Robert Browning. Next week from Studio One at CBS, we bring you Irwin Shaw's magnificent story, Act of Faith. Until then, until next week, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night and thank you from all of us in Studio One. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for now. <laughs>